0: Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Brian Regan is most comedians' favorite comedian. Even if you might not recognize him or place his name, Regan has stood out among stand-ups for the past two decades, with multiple comedy specials to his credit, including Comedy Central's first and still only live special, recorded at Radio City Music Hall. Regan performed 28 times on David Letterman, and has since added a few Fallons. As part of his deal with Netflix, Regan is releasing a four-episode series that's part classic stand-up routines, part new sketches, based on those premises. He produced it with Jerry Seinfeld. Stand-Up a Away comes out this Christmas Eve. So let's get to it! So Brian, last things first. Uh, I, on my way over to to do this phone conversation with you, I heard that Loudermilk got a third season.
1: Yeah, I. Um, there were rumors of that uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't know if it was official. My manager just sent me the official word today. So, uh, yeah, season three. Yeah, Pretty
0: cool. <laughs> that's your that's your biggest TV credit, isn't it? <laughs>
1: I think it might be my only tv credit <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know other than doing you know um you know talk shows and stuff like that right other than stand up i, I don't think i've ever done i think that's my only tv credit <laughs> you know yeah
0: well you know as you as you say in the uh opening episode of stand up in a way uh, it's not like you wanted to be famous so so it's you know it's good to have just the one tv credit
1: That's why. That's why it's good that I'm on a show that's on Directv's Audience (laughs) Network. It's not. It's not not messing with my dream of not being famous at all. Uh,
0: Now I have to ask uh, Kate Regan, who's one of the executive producers, any relation?
1: No. And what's funny is uh, at the end of you know, Loudermilk when they show the credits, Mm -hmm. um. Her name is bigger than mine, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm like, wow, I, I don't think, I don't know if I've met her. I may have met her, but uh, oh, no relation. No they relation. They show her name, and in my eyes, it's like huge, mm-hmm. and they show her name, and you got to like go up really close to the screen to go, oh, and there's another Regan involved with this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on, some, on some TV networks, it's even worse because they'll show the, the first couple credits, and then the rest of the credits will just be in a really super fast scroll so they can get yeah. to the so they can get to the commercials and you don't even see it um your your brother dennis though is in the credits for your series yes stand up yes and away. he
1: is dennis is has a wonderful comedic mind and uh you know i wanted him involved with this stand up and away thing and uh so he's like by my side throughout the entire process, and he just has a really keen eye. Um, you know, when you're doing a sketch or you're doing a scene or you're writing something, he he comes at it from a perspective that uh, is very strong comedically. You know, he uh, he he'll, if anything he even approaches being hack, you know, he'll <laughs> speak up,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, and he always has like an interesting way of looking at things so it's it's great to have him involved
0: he does i i whenever i see a help wanted sign that says inquire within i always think of him um yeah, you know, this yeah, he's, he's, he's good this uh <laughs> he's no brian regan but let's but he's a regan he's the he's the smaller credited regan in your relationship this dennis yeah although he's um, although he's taller isn't he he's i don't know if he's taller I know
1: I know he's dumber. <laughs> I know he's I know he's much more stupid than I am <laughs> uh. <laughs> you,
0: you know the the great thing about stand up in away is um you know, watching you kind of revisit some of your classic uh, bits also got me like rethinking nostalgically. I've actually had multiple interactions with you and your brother. Um, your publicist actually, the first time he got us together on the phone was for I Walked on the Moon. Um, uh-huh. I saw you at Carnegie Hall. I saw. You, I got to see you at Radio, Radio City Music Hall for the live Thank Comedy you. Central, and I saw you in the round at the Celebrity Theater, which is a, a unique place to see comedy. And then I and then I saw you and your brother uh, at the Tempe Improv, which was the weekend before 9/11. Not so fun. Oh fact. wow! Really? Yeah, because I, I actually your brother ended up staying and headlining the next week once all the flights were were screwed up.
1: That's bizarre. I, I, I've heard him tell the story of performing after 9-11, but I forgot that I was there the week before that. I, I just zoned out on that part. But uh, <laughs> that's crazy.
0: Yeah what's it What's it like though for you to to, to revisit all this stuff for for stand up in a way?
1: Well, I've always been uh, uh, kind of in a good place in that. I've kind of gone against the grain comedically. You know, they say comedy has to have a surprise.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And that is supposed to be the case, you know. It's like you're not supposed to know what's coming. Yet for some reason, people who like my comedy never seem to mind hearing it again. (laughs) Um, That they've known maybe for Mm -hmm. years. But even even with that, I always shied away from it. You know, I, I still like to... Move away from old material and replace it with new stuff, just because it was fun for me. And um, but at the end of my shows, especially when I started doing theaters, I would go back out and do an encore, and sometimes people would shout out older bits that they wanted to hear. So it was really cool for me to realize, wow, people still like these routines, you yeah. know. You, so I thought, oh, sorry. would there be a way to showcase them somehow, uh, but in, a, in an interesting way? I didn't want to just do. Hey Brian, does old bits? You know, I thought if I can do them, and then maybe follow them with a sketch, it could be an interesting way to um, explore
0: the old stuff. Yeah, Jerry Jerry Seinfeld uh, helped produce this for you, and his he had a Netflix special this year that kind of did the same thing in a different in a different way. with Jerry before Seinfeld, where he revisited his very early bits. How yes. uh, how what kind of uh, influence and per- perspective did he bring to To you, putting this all back together,
1: Seinfeld could not be a better
0: executive producer for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the fact that he
1: supports me is amazing. You know, I mean, like the guy, (laughs) he had the you know the biggest hit sitcom in the history of television. I mean, that's a that's a pretty strong credit.
0: Yeah, and the fact (laughs) that it's no louder milk, but it's a good credit. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, right. It's up there with Louderville, you know. Um, no, the fact that, um, you know, he wanted, he felt I should have a show was just tremendous for me. And even better was that, you know, he wanted to hear the idea. He had, he had his thoughts. Mm-hmm. But he said from Jump Street, I'm going to give you my thoughts when you want them. And, but at the end of the day, you make the decision. You know, I, I, he said, I bring a lot to the table because of what I've, you know, what I've accomplished, which mm-hmm. is true. He said, but this is your show. So I'll say, hey, I think this, I think that, I think the other. And, um, but for the most part, it was mine to do. And um, and so, like, he he came in, like, one or two days when we were, you know, actually sitting around with the writers and stuff like that. And. You know, we went through all the bullet points and he gave his opinion and then that was it. And then he said, uh, hey, but do what you want to do. But these are my thoughts. And we incorporated a lot of what he said, Mm -hmm. you know, because he is a smart guy. And um, but I I like the fact that he said, listen, at the end of the day, you make the decision. So I I can still feel like it's my creative thing, but I'm backed by a genius.
0: How, How did the decision to add the floor manager, Beth, is kind of like a glue?
1: that was, that was mine all along. Nice. I mean, <laughs> I, when I had the idea for the show, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted a, a version of a sidekick, but I wanted it to be done a little bit more creatively. Okay. I wanted, I needed somebody that I could talk to as a transition from stand up into sketch. And, uh, so we came up with this idea of a floor producer, uh, So that was always part of the, the pitch. I mean, he, when I first pitched the whole idea of Seinfeld, that was included in the pitch. Okay, and um, and then we, you know, happened upon this Beth Trip, and I had seen her in an iPhone commercial and just thought oh. she was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, and it's it's I, I think her role is a lot more important than people who don't know comedy might realize. At least with that with this vehicle, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I I, I, prefer, I can't just go
1: from stand-up and then. To a screen, sometimes I have to have a little conversation before it goes there.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I just referred to her a couple minutes ago as the glue. I feel like she kind of like holds it all together.
1: Yeah, no, I, I know you get it. I'm talking about people. <laughs> I'm saying if a viewer might not understand mm-hmm. how important she is. But
0: okay. You and I know. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you were when you were doing the the classics uh, again as stand-up, how much of an impulse did you have to? to kind of, even though they were classic bits, to rewrite them even a little bit?
1: It's always a tricky thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like when you go see a band and they're playing a song that you know, you know, uh, I know as a as a, an audience member, I kind of want to hear it the way I know it. Right. most so, of the stand-up bits, I did them the way... I, I've always done them, you know, like they're kind of baked and done and that's the way they are. But there are a couple of bits that have evolved since they came out years ago, mm-hmm. like the school routine. I wanted to play around with the school routine because that's probably my, the bit of mine that most people know. And and it's a long bit. In fact, we broke it up into two little segments. We threw a sketch in between. Okay. Because that's so familiar, I wanted there to be some curveballs in there. Uh, so I played around a little bit with the punchlines and with some stuff where I wanted people to watch that one and go, oh, okay, I know where he's going. And then I wanted them to be caught off guard with a weight. That's not the punchline, you know. Yeah. But, but but for the most part, like mm-hmm. the stand-up to be the way it's supposed to be. But I, I did adjust on a couple of bits here and there.
0: Yeah, as you were talking, I was just thinking of how Bob Dylan is, is infamous for uh, – rearranging his song so much in live concerts that people sometimes don't even know that he's playing the song that they know.
1: Wow. (laughs) I mean, I've I've done some of my bits, Mm -hmm. and I'm like so off track, people will yell out, are you doing Bob Dylan? (laughs) That's that's how off course I am sometimes.
0: I would would like to see you do Bob Dylan one time, (laughs) though. Um, You know, one thing that I was surprised to learn about you until I I watched it, uh, you gave a Google talk in 2017, where you mentioned that you had started off as a prop comic.
1: Well, (laughs) to describe myself, I never was a prop comic, even Mm -hmm. when I started. I would walk on stage. It was a short period of time when I would go on stage with a little bag and I would just set it on the stool, mm-hmm. and then I had like five minutes of my act where I would pull some stuff out. Okay. Um, so I, I tried props a little bit in the beginning, but never to the point where I was a prop act per se. Did did but, you um,
0: did you give those bits to Carrot Top? <laughs> because you guys both started um, in South Florida, at, we did at around did. the same time, or.
1: No, I think he started after me. Um, Ah,
0: so he might have gotten the idea from you, is what you're saying.
1: Oh, if you only (laughs) knew how furious I am that Carrot Top glommed onto my (laughs) my little bag that I used to
0: set under the stool. He was just Scott Thompson at the Fort Lauderdale Club, and then he saw you. What was... (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm amazed at the... I mean, I shouldn't be quite amazed, but I I am still amazed at the number of talented, still-working comedians who came out of south florida in the 80s and early 90s
1: i think it's very intriguing as well especially because florida had a reputation for manufacturing a lot of hack comedy Mm. and uh, especially years ago you know there were a lot of comedians down there who did that least common denominator kind of stuff okay you know just easy laps um so it is kind of cool that you know, a few of us were able to, uh, you know, depart from that and try to do something a little bit more interesting.
0: What What do you suppose it was about about you and uh, and some of the others who who did break out of that? Was there a sense at the time that the scene was okay? There's a lot of hack people going around, but but some of us have some real creative voices and and unique talent.
1: Well, I think it's like anything else. Any other, um, I always. I always get queasy when I use the word art <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then I feel like I'm patting myself on the back, but mm-hmm. uh, craft, you know, you, you're, you're going to have people who, who say, what do the people want? And then they're just going to give it to them. And then you're going to have the people that say, what do I want to say? And when you, when you're, when you're of the mindset that you're trying to figure out what people will laugh at, Well, then you're not going to do anything interesting, you know, and there are a lot of comedians that do that. You know, they're just like, oh, if I say this, they'll laugh. So therefore, I'll I'll say this. Right. But you're going to have a handful of people that go, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do these goofy thoughts that I come up with. And hopefully people will think they're funny. So and those people are everywhere, including the bizarre state of Florida.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was was there anyone in particular in those early days that. uh that was a good comedy friend to you?
1: Jeff Garland. Okay. Jeff Garland started at the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale, and he uh, he would go on stage and do these <laughs> outrageous characters that um, he doesn't do anymore. I, I've talked to him since and said, have you ever thought of bringing those characters back? And he said, "No, nah, I've, you know, those were when I started doing comedy. And I, mm. I said, they were hysterical, man. You know, so he was doing something different, even back then. Um, John Manfrelotti was very funny. Um, he has some parts, like in The King of Queens. Okay. And everybody loves stuff like that. Um, but uh, most of the people that we saw, that, or that I saw, that I really, like, was interested in were people that came down from New York and LA. Okay.
0: You know? so
1: well, they would it was they would bring headliners in from out, out of state and those were the people where you go, Oh, I see what this is supposed to be.
0: Who who out of all of those people were was the most helpful to you early on in, in working your way up the ladder and out of Florida?
1: Uh I don't know that anybody was helpful in you know in terms of, you know, sitting down with me and saying, hey, you should do this or you should do that mm-hmm. but I was very um, I don't know, I, I felt really good when comics who came in from New York and L.A. and from wherever mm-hmm. would, you know, say, hey, man, you're, you're you're pretty decent at this. Keep at it. You know, I, I it was always, um, you know, I felt like I was on the right track, you know, and I noticed they didn't say that to all the local comedians. <laughs> Did- I was like, maybe. Maybe I'm on something here.
0: Did any of them take you? I remember
1: you? one guy, and I wish I could remember who it was. Mm-hmm. But after a show, I was out by the bar. I used to work there. You know, I was like a bar Not a bartender. I was a, a dishwasher and a busboy. Okay.
0: There's there's a know, grand tradition me, of that. Pardon me? There's a grand tradition of, of former busboys and door guys and bartenders working their way up to the stage.
1: Exactly. Um, you know, so I worked in the club. Mm-hmm doing things and um after a show somebody asked what I did and you know I said I'm a I'm a I'm a busboy you know and uh a comic took me aside and said why do you tell people you're a (laughs) busboy because how come you don't tell people you're a comedian and I said well I'm I'm working at that but Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm there yet Uh and he said well who who do you think somebody's going to come and tell you when you're there or do you get to decide? And uh, I said, I'm not sure what you're driving. And he goes, why don't, why don't you believe you're a comedian right now? When people ask you what you are, why don't you say you're a comedian? And then from that moment forward, I I started telling people I was a comedian. <laughs> so people would say, so what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a comedian. Mm-hmm. And they would say, with a bus tray? <laughs> <laughs>
0: When was the first time you said you're a comedian and believed it in your heart?
1: <laughs> no, it, that, that he, whoever said that mm-hmm. it, it made me realize I need to decide now: right. that, am, am I this or am I not? Now, I might not be great yet, but I'm. I, I can still be a comedian right. while I'm starting my quest. You know.
0: Did Did anybody uh, take you out on the road? I know you. You tend to have like the same couple of openers. For a while now. Was there anybody who did that with you?
1: Not in the early stages. In the early stages, I just went out and got booked wherever I could go. Oh, okay. um, But when I was living in New York, um, Seinfeld let me open for him oh. a handful of times. And this was when his TV show was just first starting. Oh, wow. Like I remember opening for him like the first year the show was out. right. Was, he was more famous as a stand-up than he was as a as a TV guy. Yeah. You know, like, people didn't... The show had not yet caught on fire.
0: No, the first season then, didn't have good ratings at all.
1: Exactly. And then a few years later, I opened for him a handful of times after the show was a hit, and it was like night and day, you know? I mean, like, the first go-around, he flew commercial and sat <laughs> at the gate before everybody boarded, and then a few years later, it's like, none of that happened anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so it was fun to watch, uh, his explosion.
0: Yeah. Well, I, as, as a young comic yourself still then, what, what was kind of going through your mind as you saw him kind of explode into fame? Was that when you decided you didn't want to be famous or did it change your ambitions at all?
1: Well, the, I really enjoyed being able to perform in theaters. That was the first time that I, performed in a theater was opening for him. Okay. Right. And I just loved the focus that the audience would give, you know, to him, of course. But I mean, I'm the opening guy nobody knew who I was, but, uh, you know, they were all facing the right, correct direction. There were no blunders going off. And
0: <laughs> no was, checks dropping.
1: No checks were being dropped. Nobody was eating <laughs> a cheeseburger. And I was like, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. And that immediately became my goal. Uh, get to where I could perform in theaters. I mean, I was doing comedy clubs and headlining comedy clubs at that time. Mm -hmm. So that became my goal. But I thought the only way to get there was to get a TV show like he had, but I thought, okay, I have to get like a sitcom like everybody else. Right. Not that that wasn't my passion to get a sitcom. My passion was to perform theaters. I, I, I liked the comedy part of it. And I thought a sitcom was a necessary aspect to get there. And then I got lucky along the way where I my following just got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And I was like, wow, I might draw well enough to play theaters without ever having the TV thing. So I, I kind of did an end run.
0: <laughs> did how, how much did you actually try developing a sitcom?
1: Did I you? tried here and there, you know, mm. like I would have ideas, um, but I wasn't a big enough name, you know, like if, if I could ever muscle my way into a, a meeting, you know. I'm, I'm talking to people who didn't know who I was ten minutes before I walked into the meeting. Yeah, you know, um, and when I would tell them how different I want my show from from the other kind of shows that are out there, <laughs> you know, their attitude <laughs> had to be, "We don't even know who the hell you are. <laughs> you're making demands on <laughs> on the kind of show you're going to do, mm-hmm. but." Yeah, I had nothing to lose anyway. You know, I, I still had the, the stand-up career. They weren't going to take that away from me. Yeah, does
0: did that make it once you once you did advance to the theater level? Did that make it easier? I know a lot of stand-up comedians, because it's such a, an isolating career, sometimes get jealous or bitter when they see other other people kind of get higher up on the on the ladder than them. The fact that you were really always passionate about stand-up did that make it easier dealing with with that kind of mindset?
1: I've always been pretty good at uh, not um, getting jealous at others. I, I don't, I, I never thought somebody else becoming successful hurt me in any way, right. you know? I, I never had somebody call me up and say, because so-and-so has a sitcom, we're putting you back down to dishwasher. Right. You know? Uh,
0: <laughs> bus boy, bus boy.
1: Bus boy, yeah. <laughs> um, so, did I see people become successful that I didn't think were the greatest stand-up? Sure. Right. But but that's okay. You know, it's like the luck of the draw. You know, talented people make it. Maybe people who aren't so talented also make it. Um, I just, I was always fortunate that I, I did just fine as a stand-up. Mm-hmm. So I didn't worry so much about anything beyond that. I would still want that, but I thought if that never happens, it doesn't matter. I still have this pretty cool stand-up career going, and if this is all I do for the rest of my life, that'll be fine, but I'll still pursue trying to do other creative things. If they happen, great. If they don't, that's fine as well.
0: Yeah, I've I've talked to at least a couple I can think of off the top of my head, a couple of comedians who got rich and famous, but... All they probably still want at this point is to have kind of the respect and admiration from their peers that you have, and they would they would trade they would trade that for a sec in a second.
1: That means the world to me, man. Yeah. I, you know, I I've, I never sought out necessarily to have the respect of other comedians. I just sought out to try to do what I thought was interesting comedically,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then the fact that along the way. Comedians would say, hey, man, you know, you're okay at this. Uh, you know, that that's a, the highest compliment. When people who do what you do like what you do, yeah. that's great. And then when I didn't have any TV series, I realized that I, that I had kind of accomplished something. Like, <laughs> I don't think there were a lot of people that got to theaters without some other way of getting there. You right. know, and I got there best from stand-up, and I always took a lot of pride in that.
0: Yeah. You got, you got you got that before you uh, got that uh, juicy stanky role in Top Five.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I've had one guy recognize me from that. Who I've was one guy? Who is that guy? At an airport, said, um, "Are you an actor?" Uh huh. And like, I was like, "An actor." I said, "Oh." Uh, well, and then he goes, uh, "Aren't you in that Chris Rock movie?" And I was like. My gosh, I was just called an actor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so pretty good. Yeah, I'm an actor, man. <laughs> I have one three-minute scene in my mm. entire career,
0: and I'm an actor. Just wait until 10 years from now when it becomes like a cult classic, and then people start coming up to you going, give me some stank. Put, <laughs> put some stank on it. Some stank. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're, you're also still the only comedian with a live Comedy Central special. Which, yes. which I wanted to, to make sure to mention. In Comedy Circles, it's kind of like a mythic story of, of when you did your first gala at Just for Laughs. Oh,
1: yeah. I don't think it was my first one, but it, oh. was, it might have been my first
0: one. Well, that's the part about is- a mythic story is that nobody really knows when it happened or where they just go, oh, yeah, that one time Brian Regan was on TV. <laughs> and
1: they- <laughs> It was four times. I, it was, I, I, I left the stage... I came out four different times trying mm-hmm. to like reset my set. It was it was it was the most horrible night of my career. Um and yeah, sure. I had uh you know, going into the live um Radio City thing.
0: Right. So live Radio City there's no I, I, there's no four times for there.
1: Exactly. I knew it had to happen, mm-hmm. I knew it had to happen live and that's it wasn't because of the Montreal thing that I oh, wanted okay. to do it. But in a general sense, I wanted to have that challenge once in my career, mm-hmm. where I just I hit the stage and it has to go well. And um, I love the
0: thrill of it. I would never do it again. <laughs> you know, I've, I've accomplished that. Okay, but, um, check it off. The list. It was
1: very, it was very exciting. And believe me, it was. It, it's probably the hardest I've ever concentrated for an hour straight in my life.
0: <laughs> that probably so I, every moment yeah. has
1: to be on target every single moment and i flubbed like two or three things Mm -hmm. that i don't think the audience realized like i was able to fix them in my head you know like oh man i just dropped a tagline or Mm -hmm. i just word i didn't want to say but but nothing to the to the point that the audience would
0: have caught on yeah and all that concentration probably helped with your facial expressions (laughs) uh yeah and you also, your. I wanted to also make sure to mention this year opening act for that night, Joe Zimmerman. I saw recently you sh- you made a surprise appearance at his CD release party, here in New York, which which I don't think yeah. I don't think any uh, major star, headlining comedian has ever done. Just kind of showing up like that.
1: Well, I you know I try to. Uh... You know, I, I I try to be a good person. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he uh, I knew he had this party going on, and I was in New York anyway. Oh, okay, uh, what I was there for, and I, I I had that night off, and I was like, hey, let's go out there and uh, you know have a couple of beers. Yeah, so uh, it was fun.
0: How how important is it to for any comedian or artist uh, to pay it forward?
1: I go by what Seinfeld did for me. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I feel like it's important to see people out there who might be kind of new to it, who have something interesting to say and say, Hey man, like to, uh, do 20 minutes in front of me in a theater and see what happens. You know, um, it feels good to be able to give a boost to someone else. You know, I know what it meant for me and, uh, it's nice to help other people. Feels good.
0: Well, you're a, a helpful and humorous uh, individual to this day, Brian Regan, and well, uh, <laughs> and stand up in a way on Netflix is a wonderful Christmas present, which uh, uh, is in anybody's stocking if you have Netflix. So, Merry Christmas, everybody.
1: That's very nice. You got I got the one show on Netflix that um, even even people that are in Uncontacted Tribes, get Netflix. <laughs> and then I have another show on the audience channel that um, <laughs> people in my family haven't seen yet. Mm. <laughs> well, Just because it's such an obscure thing. But it's starting to get some buzz and some, some momentum, so who knows.
0: And a season three, so congratulations.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate this.
1: Hey, thanks Sean. I really
0: appreciate the interview, man. Have a good have a good day. YouTube. Last things first. This episode of The Comics Comic presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Kikelchik. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com for more interviews, reviews and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.